Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Brown Girl Health Podcast. My name is Amik, and I'm one of the hosts for this podcast. I would like to encourage you all to join the Brown Girl Health community by following us on Instagram and Twitter and subscribing to our YouTube channel. Our Instagram handle is brown.girl.health, and our Twitter handle is at BGHTweets. Both our Instagram and Twitter are linked in the descriptions, and we really hope you'll join our community. In today's episode, I will be talking to Dr. Nisha Patel, who you can find on Instagram at Dr. Plantel, and Dr. Disha Narang, who you can find at at Disha Narang MD. And we will be talking today about culinary medicine. So welcome on our show, and I'll let you quickly introduce yourself to our listeners. So hi, everyone. This is Dr. Patel, uh, aka Dr. Plantel. That name was uh, made by my husband, and he's like my master name maker, I guess. <laughs> and so I'm a, I'm a board certified internal medicine physician who through my own, I guess, journey on trying to make sustainable, healthful lifestyle changes, especially when it came, comes to eating, uh, discovered the field of culinary medicine. And it's honestly become one of my obsessions. I think a lot about food. I think a lot about how we can help others, our patients, our colleagues, our families, our friends make healthful, sustainable lifestyle changes in their day-to-day eating with working with what's available. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Dr. Disha Narang. I am an endocrinologist and I work um, for Northwestern in, uh, right outside Chicago. And I focus, um, my clinical interests are mostly diabetes care and weight management. I do see general endocrinology patients as well. Um, but I just have um, a heightened interest and passion in diabetes care and weight management and sort of um, made my, you know, an introduction into culinary medicine a few years ago. And it's sort of um, completely revolutionized the way I treat patients. And it's been um, extremely invaluable, but also um, a lot of fun. So um, I talk about food all day with my patients. And, and as a foodie, it's kind of one of my favorite things to do. That's really cool. And I think that we oftentimes heard about like dietitians and a lot of that when it comes to eating. But I culinary medicine was a very new thing for me until I saw both of your Instagrams. So it's really cool that you're in this field as well. And fun fact, we did a little bit of a poll with our listeners. And it seems like... Um, 56% of people uh, who voted on that poll didn't know what culinary medicine was. And this is, I guess, as of when we were taping this podcast, so those numbers can change. Um, but can you just explain what that is? Yeah. Um, Nisha, feel free to expand. But yeah. culinary medicine is basically um, just the concept behind it is like food is medicine or food as medicine, right? And so there are so many ways that we can alter the way that we eat or enhance the way that we eat to um, partially treat or maybe sometimes um, fully treat chronic disease. And so that, you know, I think can be applied to pretty much any area of medicine, right? Uh, especially in my yeah, situation exactly. with diabetes and weight management, it, it's a huge part of diabetes and weight management, but you know, in very, it's so many others like fatty liver disease and um, you know, the list goes on and on and, and um, Nisha will go into that further as well um, um, with what she does in her job. And so a lot of it is just basically, you know, empowering people to be able to select the right kinds of foods, cook, you know, feel um, 
confident in the fact that they can manage their chronic disease um, with a certain diet plan, not diet, but um, the, the, the kinds of foods yeah. that can help make them yeah. healthier. I, I love to think of culinary medicine the way I explain it to others is that it's really the um, practical application of what we already know that's, you know, in nutrition science and in health science. So, you know, we often as, you know, physicians, as healthcare providers tell people, uh, you know, it's really important to eat healthy. Well, we all know that, but the part that culinary medicine, that gap in education that culinary medicine addresses is, is how, how are we going to do it? How do I tell my patient? in their current circumstance, in their individual circumstance, that this is how you make the changes that we need, or that you need, I should say, um, to lead a healthier life. And what is sustainable for you? What makes practical sense for you? Um, what can you do in your, for example, in your budgetary confines, for instance? And Deech is right. So I, kind of, I see a whole different subset of patients um, on the inpatient side. I'm a hospitalist. And unfortunately, I see the, the consequences of a lifetime um, or, or chronic illness, I should say. So I see, I see a lot of patients with um, NASH cirrhosis. So that's cirrhosis related to a fatty liver deposition in the uh, liver. <laughs> and unfortunately that leads to what's called end-stage liver failure. And it's becoming, if not already, the most common cause of liver transplant in this country. It's under-recognized. It's very, uh, very silent disease, I should say. You know, it doesn't, um, that we don't really typically screen for it on a regular basis in this country. It comes to fruition when, let's say, somebody has some lab work, or they have a, a CT scan or an ultrasound that shows fatty liver or fat fatty deposition in the liver, and then you start looking back at their history more, and you're like, oh wow, they have diabetes. Oh wow, they've had cardiovascular disease. And so, uh, definitely, I, I, I hate to say it, it's a, kind of like a silent killer almost um, because it really can sneak up on you. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, no. And since I see that end organ consequences, um, I really, I, you know, I really think that, like Disha said, that prevention and early treatment with the help of, you know, good food and good medicine is really important. That That's very true. And I think that uh, something that really pops out is I read a statistic earlier, but you spend about six years of your life eating, which is like, I think so important because food is just so centric to a lot of what activities that we do. And I know as a college yes, student, food bring, yeah, people, food yeah. brings people together, yeah. right? It's so much a part of our socialization and yeah. it's so much a part of our cultures and, you know, it's, it's fun, it, you know, and, and so our, our purpose here is to help folks develop a positive relationship with food. And I love that six years of our life, you know, that's, yeah. eating like that's amazing that's a large like very significant portion of our lives so you just mentioned like developing a positive relationship with food is that something that both of you had before like entering this field or even knowing about it or like how did you develop this yeah i would say that my positive my positive relationship with food came on later in my life i spent um you know I, I think I meant, as I mentioned earlier, some of the, what drove me towards culinary medicine was when I was making my own lifestyle changes, when I was trying to do all that for myself as South Asian, um, as a South Asian, we in my family have just strong family, like history of cardiovascular disease and diabetes. And I started seeing uh, changes in my own health at, at a young age, and I knew I needed to make changes. But I, I knew like in my twenties that I, 
I needed to stop. I was a college student and a med student and I ate a lot of fast food. And I knew that my my diet or my day-to-day eating needed improvement. And so there would be these periods of time where I would eat healthy and I'm using air quotes, y'all. Um, and then I would quote unquote slip up and accident and quote unquote accidentally eat a chocolate cake. And then I would just feel really guilty. And I went through periods of that um, several times in my 20s. And you know, it would be like going back and forth, like I'd go zero to 60. And it, it never, it never worked out for me. It wasn't sustainable. And I don't think it was healthy either. Feeling that guilt is, is it's powerful, you know, when, when you feel bad about eating something, and I've personally felt that guilt. And so I realized that it's, it's not day to day eating is not meant to be perfect. And your overall dietary pattern is what matters most over a period of time. And that time period, we aim to make these changes for lifelong. So yeah, definitely much better relationship with food um, as, as the more I've learned. You know, for me, you know, I, I, I was overweight as a kid. And, you know, I, at back then we just didn't know any better, right? Like we would do McDonald's happy meals and, you know, it was just, everything was like food centric. We're Indian, like it's just snacks, things like that. Like, and if, if you're bored, you eat, right. Or if you're, if you're looking like you're just sitting there, your mom's going to give you a plate of food. And, um, we, we just didn't know any better really. Um, not to necessarily blame that, but, um, my own evolution has been sort of, um, growing up slightly overweight. It, It really sort of changed the way I have focused the like my own health. Um, and so, and you know, endocrinology and all of that stuff came later, but that like kind of guilt and like the fact that like, oh, you should you really be eating that? And like all of those things kind of settled into my mind early on, like, you know, um, 12, 13 years old when I was kind of struggling with my weight. And actually what helped was I I did like a lifestyle skills class or something back in the eighth grade where I learned about nutrition for the first time. And I feel like that one class, it's amazing what like certain little things have an impact on you for like your life. And I wish I could go back and say thank you to that teacher, you know, back in the eighth grade. And it was, you know, compared to like what we know now, it's very minimal, but just to like learn about like portions and um, like fat is like really tasty. And so I would like think about that if I'm eating like something really yummy, like, oh my gosh, like does this have like a lot of fat or is it healthy? And so like those like wheels started kind of spinning like um, or the gears started turning early on. And, um, and you know, I'm a foodie. Like I, I really love cooking. I love trying new foods. My husband and I, I guess pre COVID, we loved going out and like trying new places. Like Chicago is like such a big foodie town, right. Um, or anywhere we've traveled. Um, but that, that relationship, like if I'm going to enjoy something, yeah, I'm going to enjoy something, but but moderation has been sort of my MO since, you know, I was, I was a teenager. So I have a bunch of questions. And I think one of them is we were just talking about like the life skills class, right? 
um, when I when I took I, in elementary school, they first taught us of this like healthy eating pyramid, and then a few years later, it was like, oh, that's not a thing anymore. Now it's just like this plate, and it was like a diagram with portions. So I remember that being really cool. Is that something that like you use in your practice when you're like, is that the portions that you think are actually something that we should look at? It, it, it depends on the patient, right? So okay. it, it totally depends on who you're talking to because there's there's certain patients who are struggling with weight or diabetes, for example, who eat McDonald's twice a day, right? Mm -hmm. And then some people are, are very um, stressed out that like some nutritionist said that, well, I can only eat six ounces of protein and I can only eat like a few ounces um, of this or that. Some people are, are very... Um, you know, they've been given like these numbers and like ounces and portions and things like yeah. that. And I feel like sometimes they lose the forest for the trees a little bit. Um, and so, for example, like for the patient who eats McDonald's twice a day or, you know, whatever fast food, well, can they cut it down to once a day? Can they cut it down to twice a week? Can they cut it down to like just like a Friday night or something like that, right? Whereas the person who's like counting macros and portions and things like that, I actually really don't focus on that that much. Basically, my my approach to this is like, well, can you increase your in intake of like vegetables and proteins? Is that something that you can do and cut back on some of the processed food? I'm not going to tell them like, okay, well, you need to eat a half plate of veggies and a quarter plate of protein and a quarter plate. No, like if they don't want to eat carbs for a certain meal, they don't have to eat carbs for a certain meal. Now, you know, it, we get into trouble where sometimes the protein intake is too much and then, you know, then we start kind of talking about those portions, but I, it, it's so relative and I'm sure like Nisha feels the same. Yeah. I think that like, I personally speaking, the times that I've counted something food wise, like whatever yeah. it is, calories or like grams of carbs, like it's never worked out for me. And I, I, you know, for my patient population, um, when I talk to them about their eating, you know, they're on the sicker side and a lot of them don't want to eat big portions of food. So I really focus on the nutrient density of food and talk to them about, um, okay, well, let's see, let's make, you know, maybe you like carbs. Cool. Let's make a swap with like this particular grain for this grain. Or, you know, if you, do you like, I asked them like, what fruits do you like? Or like, what vegetables do you like? And we, you know, kind of bounce some ideas off of like things that they could make or eat or, uh, talk about similar vegetables in the same category. So, you know, just giving them ideas and trying to work with what they have is like most important. And, and, and that's, that's such an important point too, because it's like, it's typically, it's, it's so much, um, an issue of like, well, what is available to you? Right. Um, because some people literally think healthy eating means eating organic. And I love like, you know, smashing that like misconception because you don't have to eat organic, like expensive whole foods, whatever, you know, to be able to eat healthy. And yeah. um, there's so many like budget buys that you can make to yes. be able to like still fulfill um, like a whole food plant-based, like whatever you're going for. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't have mm -hmm. to be like the $10 orange at like whole foods. I agree. Like I rather have people eat whatever fruits and vegetables are available to them in whatever form than not eat them at all, or just buy one or two because that's what their, you know, budget allows if they're buying more expensive ones. I, you know, I mean, there's so many misconceptions that I had about food that I look back on and I should probably post about this. Yeah. misconceptions I had about food. Um, but 
one of them was like, oh, frozen veggies are not healthy. Well, what the heck? Like that is so not true. And okay. if you look in my freezer right now, you're going to see uh, like a whole section with just frozen fruits and vegetables. And I eat those on a regular basis because some weeks are so busy at work. I just, I can't like, you know, I, I need those frozen fruits and vegetables, you know? Um, so it, yeah, it's, it's really just emphasizing or trying to like break up these mixed misconceptions. Like you must buy X, Y, and Z in order to be considered healthful. Yeah. Healthful is a, it's, it can be in so many different ways for so many different people and it has it's to be all perspective. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, and, and, you know, and I think like, um, was I going to say, like, I, to be able to like sit there and quantify all of that, I actually think is more anxiety provoking than anything yeah, else. Yeah. And, you know, and, and so unless like somebody is on strict, like basal bolus insulin or they're, you know, um, on like very like, you know, significant certain insulin doses where they have to count carbs to be able to dose their insulin. I really don't get into like those, you know, um, specifics. It's just not necessary. That's really interesting because so last year, so I back to what Dr. Katel said earlier, because you said something about like in college and as a medical student, it's hard to like have a healthy relationship with food. So as a college student and a lot of our pages has a college student audience as well, it can be hard to like balance like academics and getting stressed over midterms and then you know you tend to have like that accidental chocolate cake just because it makes you feel better when you're going through all of that um and I think last year what I tried to do was uh, I tried to go vegan for like two months and then my friend gave me this macros list and I had to follow this very strictly and I could not follow it for sure so just hearing that the numbers um thing that just helps me a lot and I think would help a lot of viewers as well but in general as um given that the page has a huge like college student um, sort of population, do you have any advice for like how you're able to start developing this sort of relationship and start um, getting that sort of not having like really stressful like eating binges? Um, when you go to a dining hall, for example, there's a lot of dessert that they have laid out there and like chocolate cake and sodas. And I know I was very much like, even though I was pre-med and I should have known better, like in quotes, um, I, that's the first place I used to head as soon as I finished my meal. So do you have any advice for anything like that? Ooh. Looks like Disha got knocked off. <laughs> um, so I, I'll, I'll go first. So, <laughs> so I want you to know that I'm not perfect. And do I stress eat sometimes? Yes. And I think it's common. And I definitely used to do it more because I wasn't, you know, what I really realized is like, what, what is triggering me to stress eat? What, what is it that's causing me to do that? And why am I doing that? And so that's where, you know, mindful eating comes into play. So whenever there's, you know, a time that I feel like I just want to go grab a box of cookies and just eat them all. I ask myself, like, why am I doing that? <laughs> you know, maybe I don't need to eat the whole box. Maybe I'll just have a few. And that's usually enough for me. But, you know, as a college student, you're right. Like you're at you're, you're at a dorm room. You're in this huge cafeteria with like an abundance of food. And and how do you how do you say no to everything? It, it, yeah. it can be hard. Um, but if you that's why I think that 
having just a wide variety of helpful foods on your plate and eating those first, and then you could have a little bit of dessert on the side is probably, mm -hmm. it's fine. I'm not gonna sit here and say that you're not allowed to have dessert. Like that would mean, that would make me a hypocrite. You can ask Nisha, like when we were eat, when we were studying for obesity or, or boards recently. Um, yeah, there was there was definitely there was a lot of snacking. There was a lot of snacking and stressful moments. And like I said, what really really matters most is your overall dietary pattern. Each okay. single day is not going to be perfect. You're going to have days that you're going to be more stressed, and maybe that, and maybe you find comfort in food. And some and people do right. Like food is very comforting. And so if you if you feel like that's the part of the guilt that I want to people to get away from is that if you feel if you ate a dessert or a cookie or whatever mm -hmm. and you feel bad about it, well that's gonna be counterproductive, right? Like, okay, yeah. you ate a cookie, cool, move on. So would you say that whole, there's this concept, right? When someone's on a diet and they're like, oh, I have a cheat day. Like my, Tuesdays are my cheat day. Is that not, not what it's we should so do? It's so toxic, right? Just because, <laughs> it, because then all of a sudden, like, um, again, that's that like negative relationship with food. So if you're going to eat that cookie or that's what you're planning on your cheat day or whatever you're planning on your cheat day, I mean, just do it. Like, I don't think you have to necessarily like call it your cheat day or it's fine. And okay. I mean, and I cut out for a second there, but when I was back in college, I used to make Maggie noodles in my rice cooker in my dorm. And that, that was like my middle of the night treat when I'd be up pulling all nighters, doing papers or whatever. Um, but really, you know what I mean? Like it, uh, stress eating can over time have its negative consequences, mm -hmm. but I think keeping it in check and being mindful about it is like the most important thing. And so if you're going to be active on top of that, you guys are going to classes and you know, you're on campus, all of that, that's obviously like, you know, you're getting your activity or getting your neat, um, non-exercise activity thermogenesis. Um, however, with the remote classes, I think it's really, it, I think the one big thing with eating and like having that relationship with food that we're talking about is the mindfulness behind it. Yeah. Um, and there's, um, you know, like our taste buds, for example, um, we, it gets accustomed to things. So if you're going to crave that chocolate cake or whatever it might be after three bites, think about whether you're craving it more because Correct. most of the time after three bites, your taste buds become relatively like desensitized to whatever you're eating. At that point, you have to determine like, okay, is, is it actually that I'm hungry and that I want more of this or have I fulfilled my craving? And after that, make your peace with it and move on. Yeah, no, I agree. Like, so I, I have like the biggest sweet tooth. Like I really do. I love sugar. Um, like sugary desserts, let's be real. Um, and that was, um, I also have a strong family history of diabetes and I had a, you know, kind of like glucose intolerance <laughs> earlier <laughs> in my life. Um, but, you know, one thing that I like to do, like Yusha said, is I would do something called like the dessert flip. So, so for instance, if I wanted some cake or something, like I would probably, you know, take a smaller portion of the cake and then eat it with some strawberries. And honestly, like that for me was enough. And, and that's what I do. I, I kind of, you know, end up incorporating like strawberries or some sort of fruit in addition to maybe just smaller amount of that particular dessert. And it works for me. And I, and I agree, like, after a certain point, you ask yourself, like, am I eating this because I'm bored or am I eating this because it's right in front of me? 
And it, the, the way I typically word it with my patients is the three bite rule. And so three bites yeah. and goodbye. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if you, you know, think about that, like if you're like the same as, the, you know, same concept as dessert flip. Um, but if that means that like you, you've made your peace with it and you can move on to yeah. whatever you're doing. Yeah, I think, yeah, I'm definitely going to try both of these. I think that's just, both of them are something very new to me. In school, what they taught us was if you're craving a snack, think to yourself, like, do you, it, like, if you go downstairs, like, can you, are you hungry enough to eat an apple? And like, if you are, then just eat an apple. And then I tried that for like two weeks and I got really sick of apples. But I think uh, like the whole dessert flip thing is probably yeah. what they're that's going variety with. comes into play. So like, I come home sometimes from work and I'm like, so hungry and it's like pre-dinner and that's when I know having a variety of different healthful snacks really helps me so I, you can ask Disha like I drink a lot of smoothies and, I, and for me I love them like they're really good and I crave them and I want them um and so I, I like vary it up I'm like okay one day it's a mango smoothie the next day it's like a, a berry smoothie for me it works you know yeah. um my husband has been eating a lot of oatmeal with bananas. Like I bought the oatmeal for myself. I don't impose my, <laughs> my, my husband eats what I eat because let's be real, I'm the one that cooks. Um, but you know, and he, and he finds himself like liking and like really loving these like new snacks and all these things that I bring in. And um, so it's having that variety, I think is really like accessible also mm -hmm. to you, like kind of eye level where you can see it. Is really important because you're right if i eat apples every day for two weeks i'd probably be like please don't give me another apple but that's the thing like you develop that toxic relationship yeah. with it like you yeah, don't want exactly. it you don't want to see it you don't want to eat it like yeah. nothing and so vary it up um to the point that it's still interesting to you after you know a certain amount of time yeah. um and so you know and like keeping the the things around that can make snacking easier like i always tell especially for my patients with diabetes because um, we're looking for like what happens oftentimes is that if patients eat a snack that has carbs in it, then their blood sugar goes real high before their next meal. And then their insulin requirements go way up. And what happens with increased insulin is that you gain more weight. Um, and so we want, that's why we, we try to limit carbs, but you know, my freebie snacks that I often talk to them about is, you know, nuts, um, veggies and dip, hummus and carrots, hummus and veggies, a hard boiled egg, cheese, um, you know, and so things like that are, are freebies, right? And they also fill you up more. So if you're gonna have something that increases satiety, then you might, you're not gonna get like the munchies necessarily to keep like going back for more and more. Yeah, I agree. Like my new favorite one is I got these uh, like whole grain nuts and seed crackers from um, Costco. And my husband and I have just been eating it with hummus and they've been, I, I really like them, that's what I, I got home from work last night and I was like, I'm so hungry. And I just had some crackers, so it was good. <laughs> I think oh, I'm yeah. craving hummus right now. I haven't had it yeah. in a while. So <laughs> this is great, great. great snack. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think something that both of you touched upon a little bit was diabetes. And that's very, very like prominent in the South Asian community to the point where it's like very normalized. Like if it's like, oh yeah, I have diabetes. Like that's totally fine. Um, so. I guess my main question is like, is that something that can be reversed through diet? Is that something that you've seen also with South Asian populations and how have you worked with people? Um, so reversal is an interesting phrase, right? <laughs> um, and we were talking about this earlier as well. Curing diabetes 
it's not necess- there's not necessarily a cure to it. And that's why we, we get worried and worked up about it. Yeah. You can put it into remission, but the cure for diabetes is, is much like harder, but then also not, I'm not even sure if it's necessarily possible, right? Because when you get diagnosed with type two diabetes, half of your beta cells have already stopped functioning. So you've already lost half of your beta cell reserve and those are the cells that make insulin. And so you're not necessarily gonna grow them back, right? Um, And so what we do is give medications to either improve the sensitivity that your body has to your own insulin that you make, or we have to actually give insulin from the outside in injection form um, to bring blood sugars down. And so, sure, diet and lifestyle is number one in terms of treating diabetes. Um, And I always say, like, medications do about 10% of the job, and then the patient does 90% of the job. So it is a major, major part of our treatment. Um, But, but, and, you know, some patients have certainly been able to turn their disease around with just, you know, lifestyle changes, and it's, it's amazing. However, this is something that we continue to watch because it could at some point go up if they do change the way that, you know, they're eating, drinking, working out, all that stuff. Um, so resolving diabetes, uh, I think maybe it's a terminology thing, but I think people are very much able to put their diabetes into remission with yeah. lifestyle changes. For sure. Yeah, I know. It's, um, you know, you're right. Diabetes is very prevalent in our community. And it's almost like when you meet somebody that's older South Asian that doesn't have diabetes, you're like, really? (laughs) Um, And unfortunately, you know, in addition to having a genetic predisposition, we tend to develop diabetes at a younger age. And when we do, the consequences are more severe you know, we, we develop it at a lower BMI. We have inflammation. Teenagers have been noted to have those inflammatory markers, like South South Asian teenagers. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. So as, as teenagers, as college students, um, what, what are ways to be more like proactive about this stuff and, you know, avoid the whole diabetes thing? I think focusing on some of those dietary, like being mindful about what you're eating and like the way you move and all of that, it starts early, right? Like, um, I would not necessarily recommend, I mean, here's the thing. Um, anytime someone decides to make some of those dietary or lifestyle changes is a good thing, right? Because it helps helps no matter what, what age you're at. However, Mm -hmm. if it starts early, like, you know, when you're a teenager, it sets you up for a lifetime of, of probably better health. Okay. Right. It it buys you years back of your, of your life. Building those habits as early as possible is so important. Um, I will say like Mm -hmm. the one habit or one lifestyle uh, change that I've consistently implemented since my early twenties is exercise. The food was the hardest part, like really coming to a point where I could sustainably make healthful changes to my dietary intake was hard. Um, but I'm here and it's really enjoyable and I love it. And, and I, but the, the exercise and, you know, I, I think that we, Disha and I obviously talk a lot about healthful eating, but that doesn't mean that other aspects of a healthful lifestyle are not important. Like sleep is incredibly important. Mm-hmm. It you know, really can affect your metabolic health when you are sleep deprived. Um, yeah. And, 
it's just, it's hard, you know, when you're a student, when you're a med student or a resident to really prioritize. Yeah. You, you do your best, right? You do your best. Because the nights that you're up and you're thinking, I got to get up in six hours and I haven't fallen asleep, <laughs> right? That's really stressful. So you do your best. But um, making sure to move. So, so Disha mentioned non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So what that is, is all the activity that's not considered physical exercise or physical activity. So that's things like washing your car, cleaning your room, folding, fidgeting, fidgeting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Spend, of course, this day and age, like we're spending so much time in front of Zoom and Google Hangouts. But, um, you know, every, especially at work, like I can sit there for four hours and just write notes. So what I've been doing, we actually got standing desks at work. So I'm super excited. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I do go and like I get up and I go walk around the nurse station <laughs> a few times and yeah. take the stairs and um, so incorporating all of that activity, yeah. like you want to rig your lifestyle a little bit so that it encourages more movement. Yes. Right. Um, mm -hmm. and so if that means like, yeah, standing desk, that's great. And especially for you guys that are like, cause you're doing zoom classes and stuff a lot yeah. more. I mean, you know, and, and Nisha saw this lecture, but like for, for the board review lecture, there was a gentleman that did a whole PowerPoint presentation walking slowly on a treadmill. So after mm -hmm. that hour and a half, he logged like 7,500 steps or something. I loved it. I love giving yeah. that example. He literally was like bouncing up and down, but yeah. he could talk. And it was like, it was awful. And he wasn't short of breath or anything. He, he was probably fast. Yeah. yeah. He was just going at a slow pace. But, you know, I mean, I mean, not that you can like rig it in your room that you have a treadmill, but <laughs> what I'm saying is that like if you're on a call or something like that, like pace, right? Yeah. Like walk up and down, do something. Like it's still, it all counts and it adds up at the end of the day. Yeah, I so, think that's sorry. Go yeah. ahead. No, it's important. And like any activity is better than none. Like the, the, yeah. the goal is to move more, sit less. So if that means you go on a 10 minute run, you know, it's better than not going on a 10 minute run. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I literally took a physical education class last semester, not guaranteed at all, like not mandatory at all. Um, just because like you were, you were graded on this. So you kind of have to go run and I didn't take it the semester and I haven't ran at all, but I think that was the move as a college student. Um, but I think you just mentioned a little bit about boards and I think it's so cool that you got a whole presentation on someone like on a treadmill. Like I can't even imagine that. Um, but in general, what is the process of like getting certified to practice culinary medicine? Um, so there's different programs um, across the country. The one that Nisha and I are doing is um, through a program called Health Meets Food um, and through the Goldring Center um, in New Orleans originally. And and so, you know, basically it's like um, a two-year uh, program where you go through in-person cooking classes, which now have been turned virtual um, mm -hmm. in addition to several like modules that you, you know, study through. And so then you, you've got to take an exam by the end of it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like, so you take an exam to get board certified uh, in culinary medicine. There are uh, like, these programs are like really relatively new. I think there's not that many, especially for practicing physicians. I mean, a lot of medical schools are starting to incorporate or a lot more, I should say, are starting to incorporate like formal culinary medicine education for their medical students. And uh, I think sometimes it's like an elective or something that they can do. And um, I, th I think that's great. I think that getting doctors in the kitchen and teaching them uh, basically culinary skills, 
in the same setting as practical nutrition and health education, like how that translates into health outcomes is so, so important. Um, and for us practicing physicians, it's still a work in progress. You know, there's, it's, it's not an interest that I ever thought I was going to pursue when I started medical school or residency. If somebody told me five years ago that I would be here doing this, I would have been like, ha, ha, ha. no, <laughs> but I am. And here we are. So uh, definitely a, so, I mean, I wouldn't say that like it is, you know, the opportunities are there obviously in med school and residency, your priorities are just trying to get through and get through your training. And hopefully you go to a medical school that has a culinary medicine program or the option to participate in culinary medicine if you're interested. But don't don't worry, you know, do what you can. Taking care of patients is our number one priority. That's the number one. And you know, here's the thing with medicine, it is so customizable to what you love to do, right? Yeah. Given like certain restrictions, of course, but you know, you can sort of develop a niche in anything you like. And, and I think that's sort of like the cool part about medicine because, you know, even with an internal medicine, like there's just so many different things that oh, you yeah. can do um, with it. Yeah. And, and so you, so you can kind of so make it into like whatever you like and, you know, however that helps to enhance your practice in the care of patients, then do it, you know? Um, yeah. And if you have, if you have the resources to do it and then the time to do it, I think, um, it's that, and that's why I think it's, it, we, we, we say we never stop learning, right? There's always, yeah. um, more and more things to sort of expand our horizons and, um, you, you know, to optimize care to our patients. Agreed. Yeah. So from what I've read, culinary medicine is more of like a newer field. So what was your journey and like, why did you decide to pursue it? Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, it definitely, what I had said earlier, it was just like, me trying to make my own practical lifestyle changes, especially when it came to eating. And then kind of almost like, it was like serendipity, like discovering the field of culinary medicine. And I was like, oh, whoa, there's this whole entire field that's dedicated to this, like, great. And so it, that was really my motivation and now my obsession and passion. <laughs> and it's like all I can think about, you yeah. know. <laughs> I also just, it just sort of like fell upon it. Right. And, um, it was like a couple years ago. And so I started kind of looking into this program and the next thing I knew I was like off to new Orleans to like do the, it was like, it was so much fun. Um, and, and, you know, the interesting thing is that it, it can, it's so specialty wide, right? Like any, it doesn't have to anybody be, certain, can do it. anybody can do it, right? A surgeon, if they wanted to do it, they could do it if they, if, you know, and so it, it's sort of um, kind of all encompassing and you can kind of make with it what you want. Um, and for me, especially like for somebody who treats diabetes and weight, like it was kind of like a, a no brainer, you know, um, and it's completely changed the way that I practice. And I spent a lot of like my time educating other healthcare professionals. Um, and so I just, and so many people have come up to me or emailed me after presentations and said, oh, I had no idea that this was actually a thing. Like, I would love to learn more about it. And I, mm -hmm. and I, I know how they feel because I was there. I, when I heard the words culinary medicine, I was like, what the heck is that? And then as I did my own research and like, I decided I was like, oh no, I really like, this is really interesting. Like I want to be a part of this. And so that's what pursued, like I wanted to do something formal. I wanted to have formal certification. So that's why I um, ended up pursuing the same program that Disha's in. And 
it's uh honestly i'm so thankful for it like i really am it's 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 been fun. It's like, fun. Yeah. It's like really fun. It, it's like yeah. a, it, it's a it's sort of a break from the norm, um, yeah. and it, I mean, it's become more of like, a hobby. I love talking about food. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So have your have your own diets changed like drastically after getting like the certification? Cool. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say drastically, but I think um, I've been much more mindful of incorporating certain things into my diet. And I love this example from one of the um, the modules that we did at the initial conference. And so they had split us into a few groups to basically just make like a pasta and tomato sauce, you know? Um, and so one of them was like a traditional meat sauce with like, you know, beef or whatever else and like regular white pasta. And our group was just assigned to make um, the same thing, but like, like veganize it basically. And so we used a whole wheat pasta with, um, and the sauce had like ground up mushrooms instead of ground beef and lentils, um, in addition to like some other vegetables in it. And so I love giving this example to my patients because the, the meat pasta was like 750 calories. Whereas the, the vegan version was like 350 calories or something like half as much. And so people are like, shocked by the fact that, oh my gosh, if I made just these minor changes, look how much more healthful and low calorie I can get. Right. Yeah. And so to be able to like give people those substitutions, because I can't tell somebody like, I would never tell a patient like you need to go vegan or you need to do this or that, but how can you incorporate more fiber? How can you incorporate more protein or how can you incorporate more plants into your diet, but still feel satisfied at the end of the day and empowered that you aided your diabetes or you aided your weight loss track or wh whatever that may be. Yeah. No, I, something that really popped up was I know Dr. Patel, you've had a post on like being like uh, having a plant forward diet. Can you just explain yeah. a little bit what that is? Yeah. No, I, I, I love that term. Um, so I've been a lifelong vegetarian and honestly, um, I definitely eat predominant, like plant-based predominantly. Um, and I, like Deisha said, the times that people have told me that you must do something, it's never, it's never worked for me. I don't, I mean, I, I think as a human being that being told to follow a certain dietary pattern uh, and you have to do it is it's just not going to work. It's not going to work. And so what I love about the term plant forward, it's very inclusive. It's all encompassing. It, it, it helps people from all dietary backgrounds, keep the focus of let's try to incorporate as many plant-based foods as possible. So what I loved is, um, when I went to the healthy kitchens, healthy life conference, one of the, the ways that they had recommended eating more plants, for instance, for people that perhaps eat red meat is doing something like a blended burger. So what they would do is actually incorporate mushroom in addition to like a typical burger blend. And so that was their way of helping that individual cut back on the amount of red meat that they were eating and also get mushrooms into their into their day to day eating, which I thought was fantastic. And so, you know, I, I love that term. It's, it's, it can help anybody, you know, anyone can eat plant forward. And so I, uh, that's what I emphasize to, to my patients, you know, that, Hey, look, you can start incorporating more plant-based foods into your, into your day-to-day -day eating. And these foods are considered healthful for X, Y, and Z reason. And it's, you know, 
then patients are open to that. They're receptive to that. If I told them that they have to cut out X, Y, and Z, and this is like the only way for them to eat healthfully, I don't think they would respond very well to me. And they would probably, you know, and like in the way that, you know, certain changes, it doesn't have to be hard, right? Like, for example, I always have patients um, or at least advise them that, you know, keep a bag of spinach in your fridge because you can mm -hmm. always grab a handful and stick it into literally anything and it won't taste, change the taste of it. Right. Um, and so you can sneak veggies and like nutrients into pretty much anything that you're making um, and not necessarily like lose the novelty or any, you know, that sort of thing out of it. So like I love soups, right? So it is so easy to add spinach to literally every single soup I make. It, there's no, it doesn't change anything about yeah, it. Yeah, just a handful add. of spinach and pasta sauce, a handful of spinach yeah. in my smoothie, a handful of spinach on, in my lentils, like you know, anything, anything, yeah. you know, or if you want to just like saute some spinach, in a pan with some garlic and some chili pepper and put that in your sandwich, like go for it. It's having it on hand is like having a versatile yeah. ingredient like that, like spinach for instance on hand and being able to use it in a multi, like a bunch of different ways is very useful. And, and that's the challenge. And, and one of the challenges like people, okay, people know, okay, yeah, I'm supposed to eat more vegetables. Well, how do I do that? Right? No, like, how do I prepare it? Um, and so it doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be like super challenging. You don't have to be a gourmet chef, like none of that. Um, it's literally just knowing what to have on hand and to make it convenient and, mm -hmm. and more healthful, obviously. And then also, like, I just want to emphasize one of the like key principles in culinary medicine is making healthful foods tasty. Because mm -hmm. I will tell you that the way I used to view fruits and vegetables was like, oh, I have to eat them because they're healthy, but I don't enjoy them. And the right. enjoyment of healthful foods was really what like really, really helped me. Because I learned like I went from a fast food Taco Bell in and out like, you know, just like all sorts of interesting things in residency every yeah. single day almost. I never cooked. I would tell people that my kitchen in residency was completely clean. It was like pristine. And if you opened up my fridge, it was full of like caffeinated beverages um, because I just I, I, I ate a lot of fast food. If I, I feel like if I can go from eating fast food every day to, to making and in, actually enjoying healthful foods, I feel like anyone can do it. That's just my personal opinion. I mean, that it's, been, it's been fun yeah. too, right? Like being what? able to try new things. And I mean, like the other night, and I'll post this eventually, but I made like enchiladas with jackfruit filling. Ooh. And like, I wouldn't have ever thought that that was something that would be good, but it was so good. It was so good. And it was like, you know, um, like low calorie, like, you know, vegetarian friendly, like easy, right? Um, yeah. And it's like customizable to your dietary pattern. Like it's like, and jackfruit's such a verse that you make tacos out of it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. That, that sounds so good. I know both of your Instagrams have such cool recipes that I like hope to try sometimes. They're so easy. Like, yeah, yeah. Like grab an instant pot and get going. Like it's, it's <laughs> like, it doesn't, yeah. you know what I mean? Like it shouldn't take a long time, like nothing like, you know, and so, and that's what I think, um, is important that like good food does not have to be like some gourmet dish. It exactly. can be tasty. It can be inexpensive and it can be easy. So it can really, be, yeah. sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, I agree. Like, 
I jokingly wish that I could like hand out an instant pot to everybody. And if instant pot's listening to this, then they should really Ooh, we love instant pot. pot. <laughs> <laughs> Let's give everybody an instant. Pot. Um, but you know, like teaching people to use what's available to them to create taste and and really getting over the barrier of saying like, oh my gosh, cooking is really really hard, and like I don't know how to flavor food, and that yeah. that's intimidating. I was intimidated, like literally legit. And so getting over that hump and really understanding like, no, it's actually not as hard as I think it is, was big. So when it comes to like South Asian diets, like is there like specific like spices and stuff that you, you find that like are flavorful? Cause Indian food is so flavorful. Like when you taste it, there's like a lot of things put into that. Yeah. Um, are there things that you think are like good to keep when you're cooking and preparing food versus you know, things that may not be there? Traditional like, Indian food is actually really, really healthy. Um, I think what has gotten folks into trouble has been the refined carbohydrates and the processed yeah. foods. And the Western version so of our food. It's yeah. been like that. It, it's been like that introduction of like Western diet and like processed foods and you know so because it, it's not like you know our genetics may have modified somewhat in the in the last few generations but truly what's changed has been the way that we eat and the way that the lack of movement and all of that and so yeah. i think indian food you've got all your spices like keep it flavorful like keep it you know i love obviously like we all love our you know home cooking and all of that and it mm -hmm. doesn't have to be unhealthy okay yeah, like I think, um, and we should like do a post on this. I think we're well. I'm we're hoping to partner with some of our fellow um, uh, doctor colleagues on a, an Indian spices post. But like you know, Ooh. I think I try to when people ask like, oh, Indian spices, it's really complicated. Like there's so many. Like how do you know how much to put? It yeah. takes practice. Like I don't measure things out anymore. I actually have to measure it out for the recipe. But um, I I think for me, like for instance, my four go-to spices are like coriander powder. Um, mm -hmm. I like paprika, turmeric, and garam masala. Like those are like the four spices that I use over and over and over again. Okay. But um, it, you know, it seems intimidating, but you, you, with a little practice, you can flavor so many different foods mm -hmm. with that. So many. And honestly, there's so much out there as well in terms of good instructions and good recipes too, that you don't have to sit there and like reinvent the wheel. Like there's so much available like online content at this point that like, you're not going to have to like become like some amazing cook or whatever. Like, I mean, I, when I was like, when I was your age in college, all I knew how to make was Maggie noodles. Like that was about it. <laughs> Me too. Um, I was in the kitchen. So let's, <laughs> yeah, I like, yeah, no. I I remember it's so funny when I was in residency. I remember going to the grocery store and like kind of walking through the produce aisle and being like, "Look at all this produce! I wish I knew what to do with it." That's how lost I was. Okay, I would literally walk through the aisle and I think I would pick up, like I think I said I like carrots and I actually do like baby carrots. Um, and that was the only vegetable that I liked. And I would pick up that bag and that would be probably one of the only it's vegetables. intimidating, right? Like a grocery store is very, very intimidating. And if you don't know what to get or how to prepare it, it's it's a hard thing. So of course, then you're going to go to the processed foods aisle where everything's made already and all you have to do is put it in the microwave. Of course, like I don't blame people for doing that. Yeah, no, I... I and so that's when, you know, that's where culinary medicine comes in. We want people to understand that, look, this isn't, this isn't as complicated as like our people make it seem like, or maybe you read on social media that this is like what you need to do to eat healthy. And it's like some, you know, whatever. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where I think the beauty of culinary medicine comes in to, to our patient care, to our healthcare is like, let's teach you some practical skills on how to incorporate healthful food yeah. in the setting of trying to do some more home cooking, honestly, because even if you just take the same food that you eat at a fast food restaurant and cook it at home, mm-hmm. it almost always is going to be a bit more healthful. Like maybe you'll add less salt in there. Maybe those fries that you made at home are baked. It doesn't mean that you need to cut out all of the foods you enjoy. I like fries. Who doesn't like fries? Yeah. I, I make them in my oven and they're good. And they're from sweet potatoes. Stick them in the air fryer. Yeah, or air fryer. I don't have like, one yet. Or I don't have the counter space for one, but Deja always throws <laughs> in your air fryer. And I I'm love like, my air fryer. I love your air fryer. <laughs> or like an air fryer. Like I, okay, for instance, I never used to eat tofu. I, I didn't like it. I didn't mm-hmm. like it. Well, I didn't like a lot of things growing up. Let's be real. Um, <laughs> But now I like, I think I'm, that's what I'm going to make for dinner is like, um, Tofu's life for Disha. She loves it. And I'm always like, look, I made tofu to, you know, show her. Cause like, I, I just didn't, you really like, I just didn't like it, but now I love it. And my husband loves it too. Like, it's like so funny. I, I feel like some of the things I'm like, I test things out on him, you know, cause I, he, he'll tell me his opinion of things. And so whenever he's like, yeah, this is good. Or like, can you make that tofu thing again? I'm like, yes. Yeah. yeah. So a burning question that I had was like chai, like, is that bad for you? Cause I know there's a lot of spices that go into it as well, but then there's like the whole thing of like just caffeine consumption in general. I think honestly the chai thing is the sugar more than anything. Okay. And so if, yeah. yeah, I mean, and and like you can substitute if you don't do dairy, substitute like whatever almond milk or oat milk or something. And um, but I think people get into trouble when it's like just all the sugar in it. Um, the mm-hmm. caffeine, like, also, I mean, obviously, it depends on how much chai you're drinking throughout the day. Um, but typically, like when I say, like for example, a cup of coffee, when I tell my patients, if you're gonna drink a cup of coffee, you better chase it with a cup of water. Yeah. Okay. No, I think um, I agree. Like it's the sugar and that can really, really add up. I mean, us Indians like our chai sweet, let's be real. (laughs) So yeah, some people drink it. I mean, and it's amazing that like, if you, if you don't drink like something sweet for like two weeks, it's amazing how your taste buds reform because at the end of that two weeks, you might not need such a sweet drink anymore. You might be able to get away with like a half spoon of sugar or whatever it might be. Right. Like I haven't, because of that, I haven't had soda in 10 years and, and I don't miss it. And I feel like if I, if I've ever tasted it, like it's, it's, it's like syrupy sweet. Yeah. I guess that was the one thing that I cut out completely with soda and I haven't, I mean, I drink a lot of sparkling water to be honest with you. Um, but <laughs> yeah, the sparkling water industry, like I should buy stock in that, yeah. but, um, <laughs> I have you know, here, but I don't, yeah, probably. I don't drink. Yeah. I haven't drank soda either. And same thing with salt. Like for instance, like I started cutting, like, you know, I, I cooked more at home. So I naturally was using like, or eating less salt, I should say. And I remember going to a restaurant and, I think I got like Brussels sprouts that had some soy sauce. And I was like the only one at the table that was like, y'all, is this really salty? Like, it's really salty. Like, why is it so salty? And everybody else was just staring at me like, what's wrong with her? Um, but no, it really tasted salty. And you, it does take time for your taste buds to to adapt. But once they do, you, you know, you don't 
miss it. I think my, my husband thinks it's really two, two weeks. Like literally, it doesn't have to be like years and years. It's like not, you know, it doesn't have to be a long period of time where you like cut back on your soda or whatever. Taste buds to, to adapt to my salt intake. He'll, he'll tell me, did you put salt in this? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's funny like how both of our taste buds are different, but um, yeah. Um, so that's pretty much it for all the questions that we had. And I thought it'd be great to start this new game segment. Um, and it's called This or That until we come up with a more creative title. Um, but the game pretty much is I think we can go and like alternate and like lightning speed. I'm going to list two foods and then you guys get to pick which one you would choose or which one you would consume and why. And this is like what you personally like favorite, like what you both would prefer, not like, oh, which one's healthier, just like to keep it real. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, like we could just go ahead and start. Um, are you ready for the game? Yeah. <laughs> okay, awesome. So I guess we could start with Dr. Patel. Chai or coffee? Coffee. Why? I, I'm not, I've never been a big chai person. I just, I love coffee so much. Like I have to like start my day with coffee. I don't drink it like throughout the day, but it's a, I don't know. I guess, a, I know everyone's probably like, well, you don't like chai. It's not that I don't like chai. I just prefer coffee. Prefer. Okay. Yeah. I, I agree with that sentiment. So <laughs> understand that. Um, Dr. Durang, dosa or idli? Dosa. Why? <laughs> I just, I love how crispy it is. Ah, it's so crispy and like, no. <laughs> um, roti or naan? Dr. Patel. <laughs> roti. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's kind of a hard one. Oh. Hard one. Yeah. Hard one. Uh, I guess roti because I eat it more, but I definitely would eat naan as well. <laughs> the naan is the treat. The naan is like. Yeah, the naan is like, yeah. you know, well, when I used to go to weddings, when we used to all go to weddings, um, no, I mean, I still have like, I eat some whole wheat naan, you know, from time to time. It's good stuff. Ooh. Yeah. I, yeah, I can never resist the garlic ones. Like, oh, yeah. Very. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, coconut chutney or tomato chutney? Coconut all the way. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's so good. I, yeah, the tomato, what, it's fine, but the coconut. Mm. <laughs> there is a tweet that I saw. It was like, you eat like idli with coconut chutney, but I eat coconut chutney with idli because it's yes. like, that's, yes. like, that's what I well, exactly. You need a lot of chutney. Absolutely. <laughs> um, samosa or pakora? Oh, samosas. <laughs> oh my gosh. Those are like my, sometimes I go to the Indian store and it's like Saturday morning and they have these like fresh samosas, oh. you know, <laughs> just proper, and I'm like, yes. Yeah. So <laughs> saving those so much right now. <laughs> um shot or pani puri oh pani puri all the way it's like one of my favorite things in the world <laughs> i had it at my wedding specifically because like i just it just i had to that's so funny <laughs> um this might not be a good question but chicken tikka or paneer tikka and i'm sure i think none of them are plant-based oh yeah probably tofu tofu tikka, tikka. yeah yeah tofu tikka. i do the paneer i i, I got yeah. see so good. Is there like like a plant-based version of paneer, like, you know, some sort of substitution for that? I think people do tofu mostly. I think tofu is usually okay. the go-to. It's pretty good, actually. Um, really? if, you air, if you air fry the tofu and then put it in the curry, it's actually really good. Yeah, you've done that. Mm. You've done recipes where you've done that, Nisha, yeah. Mm. 
that that's something I'll try. Um, doll Mukni or doll Tharka, which I think is like the brown one or the yellow doll. I think the Tharka, the Mukni is like with the heavy cream. It's too it's heavy for me. Yeah. yeah, it's all like doused in butter. I don't, it's yeah. too heavy for me. I love you, good doll Tharka. It's so good. <laughs> My favorite. Um, Hollock, paneer, or tofu, um, or mixed vegetables. Like some sort of sub. Oh, like a jeffrey, like a yeah, jeffrey, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. No, I like the mixed vegetables. I just love spinach. My son, my son eats pollock paneer every single day. My mom makes him a big vat of pollock paneer Aww. once a week, and he eats that with rice every single day. Aww. <laughs> Munchkin, he's very cute. <laughs> This one's for both of you. Um, Taco Bell or Chipotle? Oh, Taco Bell. Chipotle. I <laughs> <laughs> um, don't know what my obsession with Taco Bell is. But gosh, yeah. I think growing up vegetarian and like not having that many, like, you know, fast food, like it was like burgers and fries and like um, fries, obviously I, we would eat, but like the Taco Bell, I don't know. Why is it? I don't know. You're going to hate me. Like I Hey, Taco Bell. <laughs> I think it's so <laughs> gross. There's the ones that were protesting Mexican peace environment, and then there was ones that were like, "Yeah, okay, that doesn't change my life at all." You know? Yeah. What do so, you get from Taco Bell? <laughs> yeah, I I don't eat there as much anymore. Um, I like their fresca menu, so they have like black bean tacos and. Um, I like their burritos. What else? <laughs> we don't have one in the city. Like I live in San Francisco and we don't have one. And so it's it's like right. very rare now. Yeah. And in a way, it's a good thing. It's not that close to me. <laughs> <laughs> they, they're coming out with more like plant-based protein options. Yeah, I saw that. I'm excited to go and check that out whenever yeah. I encounter a Taco Bell. Yeah. Um, all right, the next one, I guess we could go with the same order again. Um, green chutney or tamarind or red chutney? Green. Green. Green for <laughs> sure, yeah. Cilantro is my favorite. I love cilantro. Cilantro, garlic, and lime, oh. Yeah, put it in everything. Um, mango lessi or ruavza? Just the rose. Mango. Mango. <laughs> I like mango, yeah. I've actually mm -hmm. put that in mango lessi, like combine the two. That's oh. I don't know how healthy oh. that is, but that was good. You gotta try it. <laughs> um, Russ Gola or Gulab Jamun? Gulab Jamun. Gulab Jamun? Yeah, I would have to say Gulab Jamun too. God, those things are so good. So good. <laughs> and then the last one, also sweet, Ladu or Barfi? Ladu, I hate barfi. Really? I'm not like a big Indian sweets person. Like I don't like either one of those. I know I'm oh, somebody's gonna be like gasping as they listen to me. Yeah. I'm I mean, not yeah, I gotta say I'm, I'm if, of all the Indian sweets, the gulab jamun is my favorite. The rest eh, it's fine. I don't yeah. I, I could go without. Yeah. I just I don't know. I don't I you know, I'm not like Growing up, my mom would make all these things and I'd be like, I don't want that. But you know, like for Diwali and stuff, like I would have some here and there, but I'm not a big, it's not though, it's the cake. It's the cake guys, <laughs> the cake. Yeah. I've got, I got, I got my eye on French pastries. I gotta say. <laughs> cake is one 
the French have figured out dessert very well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dr. Patel and Dr. Nguyen, for taking the time to join us today and sharing like all of this amazing information on culinary medicine, as well as like why you pursued it and like how the field works. Um, and thank you for the work that you've done as well with like patients and like advocacy and diets. It's all really helpful. And I think it's so great that you both have your own Instagram pages as well. I um, mean, share all of this really useful information. I learned so much just by like scrolling through your pages like all the time. And it's always so cool to see the recipes and I'm very excited to try them soon as well let you know how they go. I know, thanks um, so much for having yeah. us. No, of course. This is so fun. Thank you so much for having us. This no, we, we can talk about, we truly feel so strongly and so passionate about helping, like just helping others make helpful, sustainable life changes in the ways that make sense to them. And it's something that Disha and I like live and breathe. We're always talking, yes. so you can it's like, we're like, okay, so what are you doing? And her and I will like meet up during her lunch hour when I'm off and we'll be talking about like this random stuff related to food. And so, um, yeah, no, we, we, we were, we're so thankful that you had us on your podcast. No, thank you so much. I, I know it's like so hard to like coordinate times and like finding like, you know, like the right time to have these things. And I know we planned this out a while ago and we finally got to tape it today. So yeah. thank you again for that. And I learned so much as a student and I'm very excited to just go and I'm probably going to be gushing about what we just talked Aww, about with my family. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, thank you so much again. And to oh, our no listeners, problem. thanks so much. <laughs> thank you so much for tuning into the Brown Girl Health Podcast. Um, and if you haven't done so yet, go follow Dr. Plantel and Dedisha Narang, MD, as soon as possible and learn so much more about culinary medicine. Thank you so much again for being on our episode.